Today I want to talk about lifting a generation, and um, as we will again tonight, we're taking, and thank you, Pastor Don, for leading us in prayer for missionaries that are reaching our nation. I want us partway through this message, because it's going to be interactive with prayer today, uh, to pray for, for the children and young people in our nation. And I want to talk about the lifting of a generation. And we come to a moment in uh, Jesus' life where you'll encounter a father and a son. Now, uh, I remember being a son, uh, living with my dad, and uh, I remember sitting in a church service just like this when I was a teenager, and I looked up at my pastor up there, and I had this random thought. I'm not, I don't know why I was thinking of it at that moment, but it had been a hard week, I guess. And I looked at my pastor, and I said, I wonder if he has any understanding about how hard it is to be a teenager. Now, this poor guy, he was in his 50s, like hopelessly out of it as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Except he loved Jesus and I loved Jesus. That might have been the only thing we had in common. But I remember thinking, what? I mean, does he have any idea how hard it is to be a teenager? And then uh, my dad was also very active in the church. Often he'd be behind a pulpit doing announcements or leading ministries in the church as a volunteer. And, uh, and I can't imagine, I can't imagine being a father like the father that Jesus is about to meet. I mean, I can't imagine having to deal with what he is having to deal with as he brings his son to Jesus. I don't know if this son was quite a teenager yet. He was probably still in elementary age. But he was terrorized by the powers of darkness. As we're seeing many in the generation, the young generation in our nation now being. Here's how the story goes. We're going to just pick it up with verse 16. Jesus with Peter, James, and John comes back from being up where, where Peter, James, and John see Jesus just clothed with the glory of God. We call it the transfiguration. Comes back, meets his other nine disciples and a crowd of people. And it's chaos. And Jesus asked, what are you arguing with them about? What's, what's up here? And a man in the crowd answered, this is going to be the dad. A man in the crowd answers, teacher, I brought you my son, who tragically is possessed by a spirit. By a spirit. So we're talking more about more here than just declining mental health although that's a huge factor today, as we'll see. But he's possessed by a spirit, a demonic spirit, and it's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And then after Jesus just going, oh, mamma mia, how come you guys don't have any faith? In verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into the fire or the water to actually kill him. Here was a demonized young boy for which torment and suicidal ideation had become a regular part of his life. 
I was reading this story, knowing we were coming to this particular day, and I really felt like I really felt like this here is our story for today because he's a paradigm. This boy is like a paradigm of a generation in America that's struggling. The, uh, the, the, uh, what we call the CDC or the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, here's what you'll find on their website. Adolescent mental health continues to worsen. In 2021, more than four in 10, that's 40%, 2% of students, felt persistently sad or hopeless. And nearly one third experienced poor mental health. That's one in three young people. And this, of course, was coming out of COVID and it doesn't seem to be improving. In 2021, more than one in five, 22% of students seriously considered attempting suicide. And one in every 10, that's staggeringly large number of teenagers, one in every 10 attempted, actually attempted suicide. So first of all, just even on the mental health level, we're facing a crisis in our America with the generation that's coming up. So grateful for every one of you who are volunteering in our youth ministries, who are mentoring boys, mentoring girls on Wednesday nights. Thank God for all of you who are involved in investments in our kids. Thank God for you parents. and. While I was on the CDC website, I found some guidelines for parents that I thought I'd show you because they were shockingly biblical. <laughs> I shouldn't say shockingly, but they were biblical for a, for a secular site. What, what parents and families can do. Here, here's just first of all, for those of you who are parents and your young person may be vulnerable to mental health problems or actually experiencing them. First of all, you communicate openly and honestly, including, I was fascinated by that phrase, including about their values. I used to take my girls on daddy-daughter dates and I, I wouldn't discipline them, I wouldn't save the tough stuff for that, I wanted them to look forward to those and I just listened a lot and I wanted it to be a safe place where they really could share honestly what they're thinking and feeling. And I didn't, although I'm a pastor, I didn't beat them with Bible verses. I didn't say, you shouldn't feel that way. They really did feel that way. And, but you know what? There are ways in which we can create safe places for our kids to open our hearts, their hearts to us. That's really important these days. And, and have them talk about not just their activities, but their values. Notice that last phrase, including their values. And we need to be building the next generation around Jesus-centered biblical values. We need not to be afraid of doing that. I'm worried because church attendance patterns have changed so much, how little fam families used to attend church three, four times a month are now only doing it once or twice a month, if that. And that is a deadly example to your kids. You're communicating that the value of a Jesus-worship-centered life is not important. Uh, supervise their adolescent uh, parents to supervise their adolescent to facilitate healthy decision making. Don't let your kids be out there all alone with critical decisions. They need your wisdom. They need your boundaries. They need your strength. Spend time with them enjoying shared activities. Nothing like having fun together, but time together. Don't be an absent father. Don't be an absent mom but time together, doing things that are fun. These create bonding things that will be lifelong memories and, 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 and connecting points for your kids, and they foster good emotional health. 
be, become engaged in school activities and help with their homework, uh, volunteer at their adolescent school. So from the time both our girls were in kindergarten, my wife did that, she's, and she still volunteers in schools to this day, just because we need to be engaged in their upbringing. And then lastly, communicate regularly with teachers and administrators. Parents, the Justice Department almost made us feel like we're terrorists if we object to certain things. But listen, uh, you're not terrorists. J just have polite, don't yell at anybody, don't, don't be rude, don't be demeaning, but just stay in communication with teachers and administrators at, at, at your kids' schools. And God help us foster, can I hear an amen to that, okay? God help us foster healthy emotion, mental health in our kids. But what we're dealing with here is more than just mental health. Because in verse 17, if we go back to it, the father said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. There is a demon spirit that has taken control of my son. We have a lot of, not all mental health problems are because of demons. They're just the oppression of our time. And, and I just think there's a spiritual battle going on. If nothing else, this reminds us there's a spiritual battle going on for the next generation in America. It's, it's oppressive. Not every student who has mental health problems is, is demon-possessed by far. But some are, even today. And you say, Pastor, that's medieval. You can't possibly believe that anymore. It's the 21st century. Well, Mike Mariani, in a lengthy article in, in, in The Atlantic, which is not exactly a Christian publication, he writes, while the United States is gradually becoming more spiritual and less religious. I love how he did, that's what's happening right now. We're less religious, less likely to even think positively about church institutions, but we're becoming more spiritual, more spiritually aware. In our culture, we're less spiritual, we're more spiritual and less religious. Polls show that belief in the paranormal, in the occult, in the spiritual realm outside of Jesus, polls show that belief in the paranormal is on the rise. Polls conducted in recent decades by Gallup and by the data firm YouGov suggest that roughly half of Americans actually believe in demonic possession, in demon possession. They believe it's real. And the percentage who believe in the devil is even higher. And in fact, it's been growing. So don't give me any of that, oh, you can't possibly believe in demons. It's the 21st century. It's growing. And of course, in movies, in everything around us, we see the paranormal. There's this fascination with the paranormal. Now there's two ways to access the spiritual realm, which is very real. One is through the name of Jesus. And as we'll remember when we take communion, when he died and shed his blood and his body was broken, we take the bread and cup, remembering that work at the cross 2,000 years ago. We realize that there a death blow was given to the powers of darkness and the presence of God was opened up to us. The presence of God was opened up to us so that in the name of Jesus, we can come to God. That's why God says, that's why Jesus says, I am the way, way, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. 
And then he goes back to the idea of being the way. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And people will spit in your face saying, that's so exclusive. You guys are just a bunch of bigoted haters. No, geez, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Because, and he put behind it what he did on the cross out of love for you and me. He took our sin on himself, everything that separates us from God. He began the death blow to darkness and evil that he will finish when he comes again. And he says, I am the way to the Father. That's how you access the presence of God, in the name of Jesus and faith in him. But there's many other ways of accessing the spiritual realm because the spiritual realm is not just the presence of God. The spiritual realm is the presence of darkness, demonic power, and Satan himself. And when you access the spiritual realm in ways other than through the the way, Jesus, you're going to encounter demonic power. And we're seeing this all over. I mean, even 40 years ago when I was a campus pastor, the average new convert student, we would often have them renounce all the paranormal stuff they were already involved in. It amazed me, almost every kid that got saved, this is 40, 50 years ago, was already, they talk about using Ouija boards in their dorm rooms. They talk about paranormal experiences. They talk about being involved with seances. They would talk about their amulets and their crystals and and all of these things, tarot cards, white and black magic, um, uh, pagan symbols. In fact, Sandy and I, we, we'll some travel. We're not big souvenir people. We'll sometimes buy souvenirs when we're in other countries, you know, to keep and help us remember those trips. But we'd never buy any kind of peg symbol or souvenir that's ever associated with pagan religion. I've actually, as a pastor, dealt with people who brought those objects back, and then there's like an oppression comes into their home and sickness, and it doesn't disappear until they renounce it and get rid of those objects. I want to tell you, our culture is full of access ways, not to the presence of God, but to the darkness of demonic power. And it's bringing an oppression on our land and our nation. Even the extreme horror genres of movies. And, I mean, there's just gateways to darkness everywhere. And we are fighting a spiritual battle. It's not just mental health because kids were isolated during COVID. There is a spiritual battle we're all involved with. So let's go back to verse 22. The Father says to Jesus, we just read this, but we're going to continue. It has often thrown him, my son, into the fire or water to kill him. And that is the devil's desire, to kill and destroy. It's often done this. But, Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is one desperate dad, and for good reason. How could you live with seeing your son just acting out suicidal impulses at any unpredictable given moment? How could you see him just overcome by demonic power and and not just be desperate? If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responded, if you can? (laughs) Kind of like Jesus said, "Uh, by the way, you know who you're talking to here? (laughs) But in another way, Jesus is saying, it's not what I can do because I can do anything. 
but it's what you can do. Can you believe? So in some ways he's saying, if I can, no, that's not the question. Can you? Not deliver this one, but believe in what I can do. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Do you realize for somebody who believes there's nothing impossible in this world? He can, our mighty God can do anything. And we have faith in him. He said, but your part is just to believe and trust. He said, somehow faith in me and the authority of my name and my power can open up the impossibility. I love the book Jack Hayford wrote years ago. Prayer is invading the impossible. I mean, faith invades the impossible, where impossible is no longer necessarily impossible because he can do anything. But he puts it back in this man's lap and said, can you believe? Not what can I do, but can you believe? That's the issue here. And then we come to one of the most courageously honest statements in the Bible. And I personally am so glad it's here because this poor desperate, pulling out his hair, dad, not knowing what to do for the son he loves. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, if you're sitting here and you would tell me that you've never felt that way, you're probably lying to me. I mean, this is part of what growing in faith is all about. Sometimes we idealize it. Like, we have perfect faith or no faith. Isn't this amazing? This guy's actually admits to Jesus, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of a mess inside when it comes to faith. I mean, I really do believe. That's why I brought my son to you. But God, I fight this sometimes. I, you know, sometimes not at can you, but will you. I, I don't know what to do with my faith. And, and I believe, but Lord, I need your help. Please help me even with my unbelief. I got to be honest with you. I, I don't trust you perfectly half the time. Lord, just come. So what's Jesus going to focus on? The first half of that statement or the second half? If he focuses on the second half, he'll walk away and say, well, if you don't have any faith, I'm not doing anything for you. Okay, so, oh, you're admitting you don't have faith. You, you have some unbelief in you. And he could have walked away, but thank God, the honesty of where we all live, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, the honesty of where every one of us lives wasn't enough to stop Jesus. Hallelujah. So when Jesus, verse 25, saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. That's the word of authority of the Jesus we worship today. Then the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. Those of you who have had direct experience with demon possession, on occasion, you have seen this happen. Because it's still very real. And the boy looked so much like a corpse, so he's just lying there limp, and he looked lifeless. They thought he was dead. But Jesus, can you imagine this moment? Jesus reached down. The guy's lying on the ground. Looks like he's dead. He reached down. He took that little boy by the hand. And he lifted him to his feet. And that little boy stood up. And he was completely healed. This is what grabbed me about this story. I said, oh, Jesus. 
Would you reach down and take the hand of a generation? Just, just oppressed by mental health problems and demonized and there's darkness everywhere. Would you take the hand of a generation that's given to suicide like we've never seen a young generation in the history of America before? Would you take the hand of a generation and cause them to be lifted to their feet again in wholeness and to stand up, to stand up to the glory of God, to stand up for the purposes of God, to stand up in our X-rated world to live a life of holiness and to stand up to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to where there's no access to it today. Raise up a generation. You lift them up so that they can stand up and be everything that God wants them to be. Jesus do this. In fact, we're going to pray that way. I like Pastor Josh Seaman, who's our family ministry pastor, and then Pastor Chris, who's our youth pastor, to come up. And we just read it. This young boy stood up, and just for a few minutes, I got a little more in the message to finish off, but just for a few minutes, I'd like you to stand up, and we're just going to pray that Jesus will reach down his hands. Jesus will touch our kids, our parents. Jesus will reach down and lift up this generation so that they can stand for the purposes of God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you today. The seeming impossible situation that stands before us, Lord, as parents, the challenges that face us and our kids each and every day, we look to you, Jesus, and we ask, Lord, for your help and your power. Lord, we are inundated, Lord, we are consumed by so many voices of what to do and how to raise our kids, but Father, I pray today that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to us as moms, as dads, as grandparents and and aunts and uncles, God, that you would help us to hear your voice of how you want us to raise this generation to know you and serve you and follow you. Lord, we ask that you would equip us, God. I know so often, Lord, fear just overwhelms us. Fear, Lord, as we lay down at night, just as we think about our kids and everything, everything that they're facing, God, it consumes us. It, it, it is on our minds. It is, a, it is a worry that we carry with us. But I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fill us today with faith, God, that you would, that you would expel doubt and unbelief from our hearts and our minds, that faith would rise up, that fear would leave Jesus and your faith and your confidence in you would be there and be true, be felt and experienced, Jesus. Lord, so often we feel exhausted. We feel stretched to the end of our means and our abilities. But I pray today, Father, that is that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, God, that you would create within us the capacity to love our kids the way you want us to love them, that we would have your eyes for them, that we would have your heart for them, that we would have your mind for them, Lord, and that we would raise them and accordingly to know you and serve you and follow you, Lord. So many of us stood in places like this in houses of worship and we dedicated our kids to you. Today, Jesus, again, we give them to you. We release them and their future and their, their plans to you today, God. And we say, Jesus, use them for your glory and your honor and your kingdom. They are yours. And because they are yours, God, 
You protect your kids. Surround them today, Jesus. I pray that you would begin to guard their hearts and their minds in you. I pray that a peace that passes all understanding would begin to rest upon our kids, Lord. And that that peace would begin to start, Lord, when they are young, God. When they're learning to walk and talk and develop and grow. And as they enter those elementary years, Jesus, may your sustaining peace and presence and strength rest upon them. We, God, we come against the spirit that, that creates anxiety and worry. God, I pray peace over their hearts and their minds. And that, Jesus, you would be the guard of their heart. That you would be their shield. That you would be their defender, God. Let it be, Jesus, we pray. We lift them before you today and we bring them to you. In your name we ask. Jesus. Yes, Father, we just worship you, Lord God. We thank you even now, God, that your presence is here. Come on, while you're out there, just begin to pray. Come on, let us lift our voice together right now, God. We just set the atmosphere for you to move, Father. Lord, as we pray, Lord, we just lift up the young people, the youth to you right now, Father God. Those who are struggling, Father. Those who are battling with spiritual depression. Father God, we command it to break right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we know that you are moving. Father, we know that you have a plan for our youth, a plan for our young people, Father. And we know that the, the enemy has a plan to destroy. But, Father, I pray even now, Father God, that you, Lord, would raise up a generation that will stand firm, that will look at the enemy and say, no, nope, I'm going to continue to follow what the Lord has for me and my family, Father. And like the Father did in Mark chapter 9, God, we bring before you the youth, God, who are burdened with affliction, maybe physical, God, health in their mind, Father. I pray even now, God, that you will be believe to release healing, Father. Release deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus, oh God. We pray, oh God, that there will be a, a, a transform in their spirit. God, there will be a renewing in their mind. Those who seem kind of stuck, Father, feeling like, oh God, I'm just waking up and I don't know what this heaviness is. I don't know what this heaviness is, God, but we release it to you, Father. No longer do we have to hold on to our, our past, God. I believe even now, God, that, that the Lord wants to do a new thing. Young people, the God, God wants to do a new thing. And I pray, God, that you would just allow your spirit to move, Father, on this young generation. Father, I pray even as, a, as the, 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 the man didn't know, he, he, he prayed to Jesus. He said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but would you, would you help my unbelief? Father, I pray that at times we acknowledge as parents that, that we have limitations. But God, I pray that you will give us wisdom on what to say and how to say it. God, that you will give us clarity. God, that you will give us new revelation on how to stand with these young people. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and we pray, oh God, for those who have strayed away. God, it's not over for them. God, you have a plan. Father, I pray that you will begin to bring them back, back to your house, Lord, where they can be filled. God, where they can feel your love and the compassion that you have for them, Father. God, I thank you, Lord God, that it will be done and start here. God, start here with us, Lord, as we surrender to you, Jesus. I pray that you will fill us up, Holy Spirit. And again, every assignment that the enemy has over our lives will be broken. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Let's just live praise for a moment. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you that you can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. You said all things are possible to them who believe. We thank you. These things are not impossible for you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
You may be seated for a few moments. Uh, just need to land on the last part of the story because something happens. Um, after this son had been delivered and they went their way, it says in verse 28 of Mark 9, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, now, why couldn't we drive it out? I mean, you delivered that young boy from demonic power. You had given us the ability to cast out demons and heal the sick back in Mark chapter 6, but why couldn't we do it this time? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by what we've just been doing, by prayer. Hallelujah. It can only come out by prayer, by prayer. Now, they had been casting out demons, but while Jesus and Peter and John and James were up in the mountain, who knows what the other nine were doing. All we know is that even, even the most profound things of things we do for God can become ritualistic and mechanical. Maybe it had for them. And what they were trying to do from God had become separated from their closeness to the heart of God. And somehow it's prayer that fuels the kind of power that we need. He said this kind of thing. We know Jesus had an amazing love for his heavenly father, lived in intimacy with his heavenly father, and he prayed. Some of us, you know, many of us try to make a habit of going all day, just being attentive to Jesus, our hearts, just our very thinking and breathing all day is a life of prayer, taking time to be alone with him in the closet of prayer, uh, being in meetings like this where we take time for prayer uh, this morning and like tonight. Those of you come and pray right here in the sanctuary every Tuesday noon and Wednesday night and Thursday noon and uh, just prayer, praying with your spouse, praying with your kids. This kind only comes out by prayer. Samuel Chadwick said the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. That's how we're going to take on the spiritual powers. A.C. Dixon, who later became the pastor Spurgeon Tabernacle, the famous Charles Spurgeon had pastored, he said, when we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on prayer, we get what God can do. So here's what we know. Number one, the invisible realm is real. The invisible realm is real. We saw that in the demonization of this boy. And we feel it in the spiritual oppression that seems to be taking down our children and youth in our nation. The invisible realm is real. The deciding factor is faith. Jesus said, nothing's impossible to those who believe. That's the deciding factor. And the energizing principle is prayer. The energizing principle is prayer. You know, faith and prayer are like two sides of the same coin. Faith says, God, you can do it. And prayer is because we can't do it. <laughs> so when you're praying, you're really saying, Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm saying, you can do this. And the reason I'm praying is because I can't do this. And the more in touch with we are with our inability to do what only Jesus can do, the less we'll pray. But the more we're convinced about what we can't do, 
and yet our faith is growing in what he can do, that's, that's it. That's why Jesus said this kind can come out only by prayer. Let's keep filling the throne room of God with the incense of prayer. I believe he's in the move, on the move in our nation, in our churches. Thank God. So I'd like to worship team if you would come and uh, we're going to be singing together, worship and taking communion. And I'm going to invite later all of those of your prayer workers to come forward because if you would like to have personal prayer, if you'd like to have somebody actually pray for you personally, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and uh, God can do a miracle in your life and we'll have the opportunity to pray for any of you who would like personal prayer before we go. But where do we start? Where do we start? Where, where does all this journey start in, in terms of living a life of prayer and walking? It starts with what Jesus did on the cross. And he said, I'm going to ask you to take some bread. He said, and do this regularly because it represents my body broken. Our sin, darkness was broken when Jesus' body was broken. We identify with him in a powerful way. We don't start trying to be free. We start with putting our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, and then we work backwards from there. We're free. And so then the blood, the, the cup, you'll say, represented the blood of Jesus poured out for us by which we can be forgiven and we can be purchased. The Bible talks about Jesus' blood like a purchase price. Not only something that washes away our sin, but a purchase price so that we're delivered from the kingdom of darkness and we belong to his kingdom. We come under his rule. That's why John in 1 John 1, 7 would say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the starting place. You, by the cleansing of his blood, can be forgiven. And if you're forgiven, God, who knows what God can do when you pray? Because the open door is there. And he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his own son rather than your bad past record. It's covered in the blood of Jesus, your track record. And you can come. You're qualified to come into his presence and ask him anything. Because First John, that same book, that same writer, two chapters later says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Period and amen. And it all starts with what he did on the cross for us.